Hello and welcome back to the RegTech Legends podcast. I am your usual host, Tom Richardson, but today we have uh, something of a surprise in store because friend of the show and RegTech legend, David Noble, is actually going to be guest hosting a series of podcasts for us, talking to some of the key stakeholders in the RegTech buying process. Um, and uh, this episode, I think, is going to be really of interest to anyone who works uh, on the vendor side in RegTech, either as a salesperson, product development, or business owner. And I'm really, really excited about it, as you can probably tell. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to David Noble, and he can introduce his first guest. My name's David Noble, guest host of the RegTech Legends podcast. And today I'm joined by the legendary John Vallis. Group Head of Compliance and Financial Crime at World Remit. Starting out in the Royal Navy, John began his career in financial services at Goldman Sachs, where he headed the cash management controls team. He then went on to a series of risk and compliance roles at Barclays, Standard Chartered, HSBC, and now, of course, World Remit. So the RegTech Legends podcast regularly talks with leaders and innovators on the technology vendor side. But today we have a great opportunity to hear from the buyer, from the compliance professional who ultimately bears the responsibility for dealing with the many challenges that we all see throughout risk and compliance organizations in the financial services sector. So John, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Thank you, David, good to see you. Good, good. so John, your compliance career has spanned you know, nearly 20 years and of course with experience across different sized organizations. Uh, maybe we could begin just by, I guess, having a quick recap of, of how you've seen compliance evolve uh, over that time in this sector. Absolutely, uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is dramatically. Um, like I said, if I reflect back on in my first, first role in, um, in banking 20 years ago now, um, one of the functions I managed was, uh, was around um, bank verification at Goldman Sachs and uh, and uh, and the OFAC controls around outbound payments and you know to give you an idea of the, the scale of things back then so this is this is what 1999 mm. um, I had a I had a team of two people do reviewing all payments out of Goldman Sachs globally um, for for effectively transaction screening what we refer to as transaction screening. Um, you roll that clock forward and uh, and I think about experiences with the likes of say a standard chartered HSBC where you know we where I've been responsible for functions of hundreds of people in fact and if you look across the, the scope of of all of the financial crimes activity from a, not just from an operations perspective of HSBC at one point I think we had somewhere around about six and a half thousand people so I think the scope of um, of the controls has changed dramatically over that time period. Um, I think obviously what we've seen is a much more robust uh, regulatory enforcement regime and very substantial fines coming in against institutions um, which have completely changed the mindset of the major banks, the, the large FIs, 
Um, and so there's a lot more thought leadership and a lot more senior representation around things like financial crime at a, at a board and exec level um, within these larger firms. So how is that, where, where there's obviously the, uh, and as we all know, big changes in regulation, uh, big focus on uh, anti-money laundering controls, and um, obviously we've seen big fines that have come where those uh, uh, controls have failed. Um, be, beyond that, what's the, for, for the business uh, itself, where, where do they look now um, as they, kind of set themselves up to protect themselves against regulatory failure. Are there areas now they look at where they can improve efficiencies in their business? Are they looking for more kind of effective ways of dealing with these controls now, now that those departments are so large and the expectations are so high? Yeah, and I, and I definitely saw that in my both of my time at HSBC. And I'd say now I find myself in a very different um, working environment. You can go from an organisation like I say, with six and a half thousand people in the ops function to I'm now in an organization with around about a thousand people in the entire organization. We have a compliance function of around about 70 people. Um, so, but as you look at the, the scale, I think people, ha people responded, um, certainly the organizations that were taking the big fines, and, and again, HSBC Standard Charter, Deutsche, we've seen very significant fines levied against those organizations. And, at that sort of initial point of response, um, there was very much an open checkbook uh, mentality to addressing some of those issues. But as those issues became more contained and uh, under control, the focus very much shifted onto uh, achieving efficiencies, driving down at the costs associated with managing those controls. And I think this is the tightrope organisations are now walking is is absolutely ensuring that regulatory control is maintained and that we uh, that we maintain a, a position that is within uh, the risk profile the risk appetite of the organization uh, but at the same time cost is absolutely critical you know we we, we are naive if we think of um, these organizations uh, as any as anything other than commercial um, the, the fundamental drive is is to generate value for shareholders for employees um, and for customers um, and and in order to do that you have to manage cost effectively mm. where you're balancing on that that tightrope as you say um, where do you where do you look to then in order to to get that balance right is it technology uh, does that begin to now play kind of a significant role in, in that ability to maintain you know the expectations of those external stakeholders and of course those internal yeah i mean i think technology is absolutely the the only way that a lot of these problems uh, will get addressed you, you you look at any sizable financial institution and they are consuming vast amounts of data, um, whether it's just sheer transactional volume, whether it's the amount of data available around customers, um, whether it's understanding, whether it, in all international organisations, whether it's understanding uh, the interconnectivity between customers who may hold multiple accounts in multiple locations, mm. um, and the interrelationships between your customers. Um, all of those things are 
they're nigh on impossible to manage at, at, at a granular level and to manage them at a higher level is impossible um, to do manually when you're talking about like I say you know potentially millions of customers tens yeah. if not hundreds of millions of transactions um, over a period any period of time so the only way you're going to consume that data effectively is with the right technology the right tools um, to be able to um, to interrogate and aggregate and analyze and report on that data effectively and it's still important in that mix of people and technology as well so as, as you said the, um, the the size of these compliance teams uh, have, have increased significantly certainly in the last 10 years um, there's you know you, you read from some um, people in the market that there's an expectation that we've kind of hit peak hiring for uh, a lot of compliance organizations and if that's true then is that because you have that mix now of people and technology where actually technology can start to take over some of those roles that were perhaps more kind of manual um, in in nature i mean do, do you are you starting to see that um where you are today and, and sort of with with your peers as well definitely and i and i think you know, as i say i mean i World, World Remit is a we're, you know, from a headcount perspective, we're, we're a relatively small and lean organisation, and, and frankly, we're, you know, we're fortunate to be in a position where we're, we're growing quite rapidly in terms of our transaction volume, our, our overall scale. Um, so, so I think you know, we're probably, you know, I, I'm again, I'm in a fortunate position. I'm, I'm, I have roles to hire, which is which brings its own challenges. But um, but uh, you know we we are growing the function at the moment. I think if you look at the larger the, the larger institutions who are uh, you know who are definitely looking to drive efficiency and effectiveness, um, that they they are using technology to reduce roles. But for me, technology is is slowing the rate at which I need to grow my headcount. But a lot of bigger organizations are actually using it to, um, to reduce headcount. And, and I think that's right and proper. And I actually think it's, it's a good thing um, all round. Obviously, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's obviously unfortunate when, you know, if it means people lose jobs, hmm. but what it is doing for the people who are looking to make compliance their profession is it's driving people out of the very manually manually intensive and repetitive uh, low value adding roles and pushing people into um, the more subject matter expertise led um, roles which actually like as you say they drive and direct the development of the technology um, mm -hmm. rather than being a slave to it and i think that's that's where I think it's a really exciting opportunity for for people as a career area is we are reaching a point in time now I think where there is a, you know a really uh, mature skill set and level of expertise in the industry that, that probably didn't exist to the same degree five or ten years ago um, and we're now really starting to see an acceleration in in the thought leadership around um, how technology can be deployed and around how we direct our efforts more effectively in, in fighting financial crime. All right. So, so the days of, of, you know, spending all your time 
just working through a spreadsheet and passing word docs around and and you know looking searching for things on shared drives to start to kind of move away as these individuals now are much more focused on high value tasks and and i i suppose for the business itself you know that that's a good thing you've now got um, an incredibly professionalized organization now that is focused on you know um, helping with as you said you know ultimately value creation and, and ensuring that you know, customers and, and shareholders and st stakeholders alike are all being served so do, do you think there's areas at the moment that are underserved by technology um areas that you've kind of identified that actually the the you know whatever is promised in terms of technology is perhaps not quite uh hitting the mark um uh, in the way that you would like and you could see that there's still opportunity to uh, improve things i mean i think that's definitely still the case i think technology is is still playing catch up i think one of the one of the biggest challenges is fundamentally uh, the technology is only as good as the data that it consumes mm. um, and one of the one of the challenges that all fis face is that the quality of data available to them be it their own internal data or be it the external data they're um, they're accessing in terms of screening lists um, or, or other data sources that they're referencing um, that those data sources are often very poorly structured, low quality, incomplete data, um, and that 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 really creates a a false ceiling to how effectiveness how effective the technologies can be mm. in solving some of the problems that we face, mm. and I think that's. I think that's, and you're already seeing. I think a lot of you know companies are very much looking at this this question of you know, customer identity is probably the the single most important factor that that we need to establish in order to uh, to address the financial crime risks um that, that we're managing against because it kind of starts and stops there if you can't effectively identify who your customer is what chance have you got of effectively managing them um for sanctions risk what what chance have you got of effectively segmenting them from a post-transaction monitoring perspective in terms of really understanding what type of behavior is, is genuinely normal or abnormal for a, for a customer with that profile and, and I think what we're already seeing is a number of companies are starting to look at um, some of the more innovative ways of um, of interrogating customer identity. So much you know, we're seeing solutions built very much around social media profiling, around um, you know using you know information taken from people's mobile phone numbers and using that to access more detailed um, uh, static data around around the individual associated so all of all of that i think is is moving forward but but it's a major hurdle and 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 i don't think it's you know it's it's ne we're never going to achieve perfection mm. all you can do is is see improvement and it's mm. the question of how rapidly that improvement can be delivered delivered so, so what's that interplay then with, with regulation so where you know clearly um so every, every business need, needs to understand who's, who it's doing business with, who its customers are, and, and satisfy those um, 
those core requirements. And as you say, that's kind of very much the, the start uh, of all of this. But where the business has um, its own regulatory obligations to adhere to, um, how how does the compliance team kind of get to grips with that, whilst also ensuring that you know it can put processes in place that enable you know the business um, to you know, effectively go out, find new customers, onboard them, and start to transact with them as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it, it, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I think the reality is 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 you know we deal we deal in terminology around around risk appetite and around risk tolerance and I and I think you know risk appetite. What one of the great challenges is is regulators are are um, um, need to be careful what I say now. I don't want to get myself in trouble. Um, they can be a little bit elusive in in um, in some of the standard setting. You know, a lot a lot. You know, you look at you know, OFAT regulation around. Uh, sanction screening and, and you know there are no hard and fast rules it's it's you know they expect you to have a, a you know uh, a risk appetite a, a sanctions screening policy which is built on a um, risk basis so so that that is one of the biggest challenges working with the business to say you know that that we need to to manage this risk effectively but but we we also recognize that um as i say ultimately we're we're a commercial organization we're not we're not operate we're not working to the benefit of our customers mm -hmm. if we put in place such um oppressive control frameworks that a it's impossible for the good customers to get in and B, there are such high costs associated with it that we have to have a charging structure that makes it prohibitive for them to do business with us. That serves nobody's interests. So what we have to have is, is an effective framework that enables us to take a risk-based approach towards identifying um, the customers that we want to spend time um, validating um, and that where we, we see... Uh, risk that is outside of our appetite that, that that we don't have tolerance for that we make swift and expedient decisions to not do business with them and and move on and that's and this is the you know the 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 interchange that that we have with the business a lot certainly within world remit we, we discuss this a lot about how do we make sure that we're working to the benefit of our good customers and not dwelling on those customers which represent excessive risk yeah and I, I guess it goes back again to your analogy of the tightrope and you're looking to find that you know the right balance uh, all, all the time and so how then how how do you then work you know internally and I, I suppose with um those kind of front office teams who are looking at you know that they obviously have um, quotas in place and, and they have various KPIs and targets that, that they want to go and hit um, so is there how close is that working relationship between compliance and the front office and communication of I, I guess what those expectations are from a compliance pr uh, process is it very kind of just rules driven or is there more of a push now to kind of bring them in and, and, and have them really understand what it is that you know, those obligations are and, and how they're expected to behave yeah i mean obviously 
you know, I, I, um, I'll caveat anything I say by saying that, um, you know, I've been with World Remit for six months and um, it's a very different organisation from a bank. Um, but I think certainly from what I've seen and experienced in the, in the past six months with World Remit, is we, you know, we work very closely with the business um, mm. because, um, you know, we, we are, as I say, we're a, we're a relatively young, relatively fast growing business and you know serving our customers effectively is absolutely critical to our ability to continue to to provide the best service at the best price point to mm. uh, to as wide a, a group of customers as possible and you know and i think you know we, you know obviously i'm <laughs> it would be uh, very strange for me to say anything otherwise other than i'm a huge fan of um the the business model that we have at, at world remit we as i say we've only been going for 10 years but we were founded very much um on on principles of compliance um our, our founder ishmael ahmed was uh, was working as a um com advisor to the un on uh, sanctions compliance before he set the company up and it's absolutely ingrained into the DNA of the company um, that that compliance, you know, is very high on the agenda. That we have to um, keep that as one of our guiding principles in everything that we do. Mm. But we, but as I say, we equally you know, have a duty to provide value for money to to customers. And the only way you do that is by maintaining a dialogue with the front office. One of the things I've been very keen to impressing the organization in the, the short time I've been here is it is around um, you know clarity around the three lines of, of defense model and the, the risk ownership sitting um, within the first line mm -hmm. and and you know the business have been very receptive to that message um, and uh, and we work very closely so you know we will often talk about what is our you know, how many how many times do we want to ask a customer for EDD and and they don't respond. How many times do we keep going back, and or at what point do we draw the line and say this is not a customer that we want to do business with? Yeah. But you know th those sorts of of questions um, and topics are, are things which we discuss on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, and, and certainly uh, you know I, I've seen that there's a, obviously a trend uh, to to try and achieve that and, and to have the the kind of first line and take a lot more responsibility for for those those risks and i guess it's um sometimes it can be a lot more difficult in very large very complex layered org organizations but definitely we, we start to kind of see that in the market now um and, and i guess technology becomes an enabler for, for some of that in terms of um you know providing tools and ability to communicate etc and so where you are bringing new technologies into the compliance department i mean what what's the What's the evaluate, evaluation process that you go through? I mean, who, who are you working with internally and externally in order to kind of understand, I guess, ultimately whether this you know, new tool bit of kit is kind of going to fit with your requirements? Yeah, and, and I, again, I will I will draw the comparison between how different a world it is within an organisation like World Remit compared to. Uh, one of the, the large larger banking groups that I may have worked at previously um, you know if you 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 look at an HSBC at Deutsche 
um, so on and so forth. I'm very used to going through very long and protracted RFPs and uh, you know all sorts of uh, discussions and presentations and narrowing down and deep conversations with procurement. Um, it's fair to say that that an organisation like World Remit tends to be a lot more agile. Uh, from a internal stakeholder perspective, we work very closely with our product team to to identify what our overall technology needs look like, um, what how they fit into the wider uh, framework of how we're developing our internal solutions. And I think you know the, there's that there's that eternal tussle um, between buy and build, mm -hmm. uh, and and I think certainly, I think World Remit historically, as a relatively small organisation, has probably leaned more towards the the, the build route uh, to date. I think we're kind of at that point of inflection from a size and scale perspective where we recognise that to effectively manage our controls going forward, um, we probably... Um, need to look more to the external market for expertise and so there's a much more uh, free dialogue and, and frankly more uh, appetite to invest mm. uh, in, in looking at external led solutions. So, so how, how do you go from that point of uh, you've identified a, a problem um, and, and then you kind of look out and, and you, you want to go and find a solution now I mean what how are you doing that? Is it do you just search on Google and kind of look at what comes back, or do you kind of go to your network? I mean, where, where do you go to find solutions? So, so I mean, I think in terms of identifying identifying solutions, um, there's a there's a, a number of factors at play. I guess one is clearly um, I get approached a lot mm -hmm. um, by technology companies, so I have an awareness through that. Uh, I have a fairly broad peer network of people I've either met at industry events or people who I worked with previously who are now at other institutions and we will <clears throat> regularly um, talk and compare notes on um, what technologies people have, uh, are using, what technologies people have, have heard about or, or had demonstrated to them. Um, what what kind of uh, what looks good what looks promising what looks disastrously bad and there are some um, <laughs> and um, and and I think that helps kind of narrow areas of focus uh, I think again you know just coming coming back to that the, the bank versus fintech um, sort of comparison though I, I think what what is what is abundantly clear to me is that the, the needs of in the fintech space are very different from um, the needs in the banking space and, and certainly you know the reality is I if I look at um, some of the tools I've been involved in commissioning and, and in implementing in some of the other institutions I've worked in they simply you know, they, they wouldn't be fit for purpose for for a world remit because of the size scale customer journey um, data data availability we just need a different solution and i think that's that is the critical bit is is making sure that that we really that the first bit is we have to really understand our problem mm. um and so 
you, you know, just saying I've got a problem with screening, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if I was to, if that if I were to pick pick an area and say, okay, the the, the thing that I want to fix this week is screening, or the thing I want to fix this fix this week is transaction monitoring. Hmm. That's not that's not good enough. That uh, you know we need a much more um, profound and granular understanding of what the challenges are within our industry sector and within our organisation specifically hmm. um, around that control. Because there's no point talking with with um, with vendors unless we can effectively articulate what our problems are. Mm -hmm. Because the, the reality is, is the the market is rapidly becoming flooded. Might be a strong word, but uh, the market is certainly becoming very uh, heavily occupied by um, challenger in institutions, challenger tech companies who are um, who, who are sort of rapidly populating an already fairly crowded space and the the differentiation between some of those offerings is, is can be fairly minimal um, mm. and so you can end up in an endless cycle of ifs buts and maybes of trying to compare multiple organizations who offer broadly the same thing at broadly the same price point so how do you pick who to go with and and the answer is if you can't if you can't answer that question it's probably because you haven't defined your own problem clearly enough yet because typically i believe once you really understand the problem that your organization faces then you can really laser in on which technology solution is best suited to your needs. Right. Okay. And when you have, uh, so when you have interactions with uh, those vendors and um, as you say, you know, it's a fairly crowded marketplace and um, some will have solutions for very niche uh, uh, challenges, let's say. Um, how often does someone come to you and for want of a better way of explaining it, almost outline a problem you didn't know you had. I mean, is that something that happens often does it, or has it happened to you before where uh, you've, you've had this meeting and someone's described a solution for something you didn't realize was a problem, but actually think, you know what, this could be really good for our business. Um, if, I, if I'm brutally honest, I would say that that doesn't happen that often. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly not in terms of uh, in dialogue with technology companies and I, I think where where that has happened is where where we've typically you know, where, where we've we've probably half identified a problem and then brought some someone in to give us some validation and and they may have then sort of peeled away the layers of the onion and discovered a whole bunch of other things that we haven't really got round to thinking about in terms mm. of the specific challenges we might face as an organization i i think part of the part of the problem is, and to, to quantify that or to qualify that that response is is to say that's not to say i don't think that technology companies aren't able to do what you've described in terms of coming in and articulating problems we didn't know that we've got i think it partly frankly it comes down to I have a finite amount of time for conversations around new product offerings and, and new technology. Mm -hmm. And I frankly need to 
focus that time on fixing the problems I know I've got because they are typically the most pressing ones um, rather than um, you know a more esoteric conversation around something whether something might be a problem for me mm -hmm. I, I have a long enough list as I'm pretty sure does every <laughs> compliance manager uh, in uh, in any FI I have a long enough list of things to to um, to fix without going and, and sort of looking to create problems on the fringes and and I think you know and hopefully I have enough knowledge and experience uh, around uh, within the industry to know which are the the biggest problems that need fixing most mm. most urgently and yeah. so that's that's kind of where we focus our efforts I think yeah no of course so, so just stick this for a, a, another moment when you've got that you've gone through that process of um, kind of validating uh, a problem looking at you know potential <laughs> solutions where you've you, you've got round to now kind of uh, starting to move forward on that how do you go about getting funding for these solutions i mean do you do you need to prove um, any roi uh, uh, how do you prove kind of that, that the solution ultimately is going to provide value back into the business yeah i mean again a very different experience in um, in a in a in a world remit compared to to some of the other institutions I've worked in, mm -hmm. um, where where typically, you know, those committees do exist, um, where you're expected to you know to field a you know a fully costed business case, um, you know, demonstrating you know articulating the risk. I think the reality is, um, as I say, world remit is a relatively agile organization from that respect um we absolutely um look to establish business cases but it's really more you know i'm I, I my my reporting line is into the cfo who who is um very experienced in uh in compliance compliance management as well as the the finance side of things um and you know we work very closely when we're discussing um, any potential spend, um, but it tends to be a dialogue between it between he and I, and mm -hmm. then you know, presuming that you know the 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 the, uh, the case is sufficiently robust, um, I can kind of take a back seat and leave it to him to take it through the rest of Exco and and get the approvals. So we don't have that kind of formality of structure mm. um, from a funding approval perspective um we still do you know we have a procurement team and we'll still work through them um for certainly you know contacts above a, you know a certain value um but but i think you know we, like i say we, we have a, a fairly flexible approach um and 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 we have a very um sympathetic ear i would say from uh, from our exco and from our board around and the decisions that, that we propose for improving our overall control framework. Mm. And like you say, that this is kind of highlights the difference perhaps between some of the big, larger, complex organisations where you know, things tend to be you know, a lot more uh, formalised and um, you know, tend yeah. To be and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, we we have a you know we're a re we're we're a small and relatively um you know simply structured organization there isn't the complexity of multiple 
finance committees and subcommittees that you've got to get through and, and mm. you know, involve you know, all these various parties. Um, it, it's a pretty clean process um, in an organization of our size and scale um, to take a business case forward, get, get, a, get approval um, and get funding as appropriate. Yeah. I mean, in your experience in those bigger organizations, I mean, what's it like kind of going through that process? Is it, you know, to, to me, it feels uh, obviously on the outside, it feels like there are um, a lot of hurdles and kind of hoops to jump through. Um, and there's various processes designed around how to do that. But the compliance officer that's going to begin that journey, you know, kind of has to be fairly hardened to kind of what's what's going to come their way i mean is that the case is it, is it quite a yeah i mean difficult? i mean I, you know you asked how is that experience and, and and inevitably i'll sum it up in one word painful um <laughs> you know but it but it and it kind of falls back to the old adage that i see sort of the meme i see that pops up on linkedin about every two weeks which is if you think that if you think compliance is expensive you should try non-compliance um, and that, I think that's the, that is the challenge, certainly in larger organizations that I've, I've worked in, often um, getting some of these um, finance committees, which are typically not populated with people who are particularly au fait with regulatory requirements or, or, or the criticality of, of meeting those requirements. Um, you know, there, there, there is... Unfortunately, the reality is is that compliance is not a revenue generating part of the part of an organisation, mm. um, and so building business case is all about cost avoidance rather than about um, adding to the bottom line, um, and, and not that in depending on the wider circumstance an organisation finds itself in not everybody has the same level of focus around delivering that that benefit from a risk mitigation perspective and on when you have a limited pot of funds to spend and you are sitting at the top of the tree in a in a large bank or in a fintech or, or wherever if you have got x amount of dollars to spend and you've got a choice between something which is promising you a substantial addition to your profitability and something which is delivering a potential improvement in your control framework that might take you some way towards possibly avoiding regulatory censure and in the worst case a fine sometimes that's a difficult argument to win mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and so in your experience then how 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 much help do you get from like the reg tech community i mean did you look for um examples of where others have been successful in kind of making that that case and and, and being able to argue that you know perhaps there's less possibles and less maybes when it comes to being able to you know substantially improve a control framework or, or to look at ways in which you know you can quantify improvements that can be made within compliance yeah and i think i'm not sure it helps in terms of articulating the 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 benefit uh in a kind of pounds and pence dollars and cents type um 
angle, but what it does help is demonstrate credibility. I think what really helps is, is when you can really build credibility around the solution that you're proposing, you know, if you, and you know, it's, 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 it, unfortunately it is the old thing of, you know, if something is a, is a tried and tested solution and I can, you can demonstrate that it's been effectively deployed into, you know, a few, you know, a number of other places which are equivalent type organizations, mm. that goes a long way towards convincing people that actually, if you can demonstrate the gap between what other people are doing and what you're doing, because the first, you know, one of the first questions I get asked whenever I'm sort of talking about our control framework and things that we may or may not be doing, almost the first question I get asked by our exco is what well what does x do or what does y do um mm -hmm. in terms of our, our our peers and competitors people want to to know how we're positioning ourselves within the wider industry mm -hmm. and therefore understanding how other institutions which are operating in broadly the same space what their technology approach is what their risk appetite is how they're managing those risks um, that that becomes a very strong argument so that's really interesting then that that from a you know from the vendor's perspective then being able to actually evidence that and, and i guess yeah. give an opportunity for um, perhaps people like yourself to talk to uh, customers that are using you know, these solutions yeah. right now and, yeah. and it's not it's not just and, you know and I, I don't think it's it's not about being like for like um, mm. with competitors but it's about understanding the context and understanding our relative position and i certainly think you know if we are you know if we are demonstrably um doing doing less than some than a, than a peer then i think it becomes a very compelling argument to do more and mm. quite often we then see that as an opportunity to then sort of take that to to take it up to the next level so actually you know, we may look at a what we think a competitor is doing in a particular space around control and say okay that's so so we're kind of below that but we don't want to just be as good as them we want to be able to really this is a space that we want to to you know show some thought leadership in mm -hmm. we want to be able to um you know, you know really make a good news story about this around how more effectively we can manage our risk profile and how we respond to our challenges um, and so we may move to the level beyond so it's interesting so i mean today a lot of people think or, or give thought to the kind of ethics and, and morality behind you know the, the companies that they will do business with and that they they interact with do you, do you think compliance has a role in that do you think i mean you just mentioned sort of that you know you might have these good news stories i mean is is mm. compliance something that an organization can actually use to its advantage in terms of how it publicizes you know that it has strong controls that it has a good risk framework and ultimately these are good things for the marketplace massively i mean i think if you, you know, again if i i come back to the whole um you know the business model of world remit you know our mm. our our business mission is is to help um, generally immigrant communities send money home to uh, family and friends um, back in in their their country of origin 
um, who are who are generally um, on very low or no income and are dependent. And, you know, if you you look at some of the World Bank figures around, you know, some of the you know, certainly if you look across Africa and uh, and parts of Asia, um, some of those those economies are hugely dependent mm. on incoming remittance and so we're we are facilitating people's livelihoods being maintained um you know it is literally sort of in the territory of life or death um mm. whether you know whether we're able to provide um the service that we are so and, and you know so some of those markets are are very easy um and come with very little challenge um but but there are there are other markets which are hugely problematic um you know you look at um you know you, you look at any or any country where um where literacy levels are low where um where terrorism is is rife where um where there is high levels of corruption um that doesn't mean there aren't people in those communities who are desperately in need of um the the income that comes to them through remittance from family members in in more fortunate circumstance mm. and so we have to be able to find ways to service those markets and i think and and the only way you do that is through effective compliance programs so you know, we have to and we have to be um to be providing thought leadership around how can we effectively establish identity in countries where like i say literacy literacy levels are very low so you know people may have a an identity document which that is signed with an x um you know mm. how do we gain comfort that we're passing money to, to people who need and deserve that money rather than passing money into the hands of um, of terrorists or, or corrupt officials or whoever. So compliance is absolutely at the heart of that. Mm. And that's why I say, you know, our business was very much founded on principles of compliance. Our, our, the, the World Remit was originally founded under the name Clean Remittance. Mm. And, and that is absolutely that clean is is the important part of that we are absolutely uh, focused on on providing a compliance program that makes sure that we service people to the best of our abilities yeah uh, and, and there's obviously no doubt about just how important uh, these services are in those parts of the world uh, especially after you know, you know years ago there was a big de-risking program and a, a lot of the providers in those markets effectively pulled out so it's yeah. Um, critical to people's lives like you say it really is kind yeah. of life or death for a lot of people um, just going back on to um, you're talking about interaction with with the reg tech marketplace and obviously you you have salespeople calling on you um, um, whether whether you've asked them or not but you, you have that that kind of regular interaction and um, this being a fairly crowded marketplace nowadays I mean, what's your expectation of uh, of the market, and certainly when you have, um, you know, salespeople, account managers, etc., kind of calling on you? Yeah, I mean, 
and, and as I think I alluded to earlier, the, 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 the problem is, and I, the, the problem is, is, the problem's me, not you, right? The, pro <laughs> the problem is that the problem is, you know, my time is is finite, and and I need I need you to understand my problem if I'm if I am to expect um, you know a reg tech provider to be able to come and fix my problem, but but the problem is I you know if, if i do have three or four or five people every week or so contacting me i don't have the the bandwidth to sit down and explain from first principles exactly what my problems are yeah. so so without wishing to be flippant i kind of need you to be psychic um <laughs> i need you i need you to 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 come with a with a fairly good um appreciation of what the challenges are that i'm going to face mm. um I also frankly want want people to be honest and realistic with me and 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 I'm going to be far more disposed to entertaining a conversation down the line with a company if early on in a discussion around one particular thing they put their hands up and say do you know what this isn't our you, you the problem this problem it's not our strong suit if you were you know but you know if down the road you need something fixing around x or y then we can absolutely help you but but you know you might you know we're probably not best positioned in the market to solve the problem that you've got mm. that obviously is sort of probably counterintuitive to most salespeople um because because you know you're effectively shunning a, a potential business opportunity but i you know I, I need people to help me manage my time effectively mm. and that means not wasting time on conversations which have little or 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 no hope of actually um coming to a to a, a fruitful outcome mm. which in the end is better for everyone i think it, it, uh, most, most people would agree i mean what's a good example then of, of a good encounter that you've had where, where you have worked successfully with um you know reg techs yeah, I think it, and it is about building the relationship, and it is about um, building that understanding. I mean, I, you know, there are some 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 really good guys out there who I have. There are some some guys out there who I've been in contact with for coming on for ten years, and I've and I've never spent a penny with them, frankly, um, and that's. And that's to because the timing has never been right. But I, but what it does mean is that, you know, I what I absolutely know is if if the opportunity came up to do business with those individuals, I would absolutely jump at that opportunity because because they've been open and honest with me in the past. They've been supportive. They potentially even recommended competitors mm. um, who may have something which is more suited to the problem which I've been discussing. So I, I think it's a it's about that about building the building that relationship. It's about being a you know being a good listener. Um, because like I say, the the worst thing that happens to me is somebody comes and wants to give me a sales pitch and talks at me for half an hour. Yeah. Because you if you talk at me for half an hour, you are not going to hear what my problem is. Um, so so yeah, that's you know good. That's what the good encounters have looked like. And like I say, if I if I look back over the last ten years or so, I can think of 
you know, three or four examples of people who, who I've stayed in touch with throughout that time period. And, you know, probably none of whom I did any business with within the first four or five years, some mm. of whom I've then subsequently been in a position to do business with and others whom I'll probably will do business with at some point in the, in you know the next three or four years as and when the opportunity presents but it is it, you know it's a long it, it's a long game and I and listen you're, you're in this field so I'm sure you know this yeah. you don't need me to tell you um you know it, the number of the number of times you probably pick up the phone and three months later you've got a signed contract um you know are pretty far and few and far between it is about developing the relationship absolutely and as, as you say you know, um having credibility uh, having good listening skills um, and ultimately not wasting people's time i think i think goes a long way um when you're that's right it's having, you know the credit and the credibility thing is down to being able to like i say i i you need to be able to consume the information that I give you. So when I articulate a problem, mm. you you know, I, I need the person at the other end of the phone, the person across the table, to be able to absorb that information and to um, to digest it and turn it into uh, a response which is meaningful around how they how you as an organization can respond to that challenge that I've got. And, and as I say, the honesty to say, actually, that's probably not our strong suit. That's mm -hmm. probably not the best area for us to help you with. Mm. We'd, you know, we'd be better off staying in touch and, and you know, continuing to talk about, you know, you may have a progress, because the reality is, and, and again, let's be honest, I don't think I, I would be unique in saying I don't have one problem that needs fixing at any given moment in time, but I probably have one which is at the top of the list. Mm. So, so you may not be able to help me with the one which is at the top of my list today, but by, you know, even by helping me find somebody who can fix that problem, another problem is then going to come to the top of the list and that might be the one that you're best placed to solve. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So John, final question for you then. If you were to launch a product or solution uh, in this RevTech space, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, gosh. <laughs> As I say, I mean, I mean it, is a, it, it is becoming a, quite a crowded place. I, I think I come back to the point around the abundance of data and how organisations consume that data. Um, and how people help you really resolve the issue around customer identity i think i think there has to be opportunity more opportunity out there for that space to evolve i think there has to be um, more opportunity to take in um, additional data points data sources and to really provide a a, a consistent methodology by which organizations can really attest with confidence around who their customers are and that like i say because once you fix that problem you are then 80 percent of the way towards driving automation and effectiveness and efficiency into your residual controls around screening and transaction monitoring so i think that's that's the space where um where where uh, in another life i would make my mega millions uh, <laughs> in the meantime i'll just sit here and 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 be a humble compliance guy
<laughs> and, and hopefully someone will, will bring this to you and, and at least it will make your, 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 uh, your, your job a bit easier, perhaps. I'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, John, it's been great to speak with you and yeah, thanks very much for uh, joining us today. Um, I think uh, it, it's been really useful to understand, uh, you know, not just in terms of how uh, you, you interact uh, with the kind of reg tech sector and obviously the vendors in the space, but I think just the journey as well uh, across those 20 years and, and how things have changed and, and how that's really kind of uh, um, come to bear. I think it's been really interesting as well just to hear more in terms of how organisations like uh, World Remit um, kind of see themselves in the world and, and compliance really not just being a back office function or, or really has come to the, the, the forefront, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, helping with the sorts of people that you know, your business does today. So it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. My pleasure, David. Thank you for your time. Really good. I hope you enjoyed that. I really, really did. I think there was so much value to be taken away from that. I think David and I will do a follow-up uh, conversation on that one, just analysing some of what got discussed, um, going a bit deeper on that, and, uh, and maybe even inviting some, some comment and participation from some of our listeners. Uh, big, big, big thank you to Mr. John Vallis for sparing the time to talk to the show. He didn't need to do it. We really appreciate it. And as I say, I think we've, we've taken away a lot from that. So um, we should be able to uh, announce some of the subsequent interviews with other participants in the buying process shortly. So keep an eye out for that. And thanks again for listening. Take care.